You ever driven in a blizzard? I mean, I think we all have here, right? Complete whiteout conditions, can't see in front of you. It, it looks a little like that. Actually, that's, that's not too bad. <laughs> it gets worse, especially at night. And in that moment, you're just wondering, how do I stay on track? How do I make sure I don't just go off the road? And it's, it's a little easier if there's a car in front of you, as there is in this picture, and you think, just follow those taillights. <laughs> I'll scratch that point. <clears throat> no, that's exactly right, right? I mean, we're taught, follow the taillights, stay in their, their tire tracks. But what does happen if they go off the road? <laughs> then you're about to give them company. Then you're going to enjoy a blizzard in a ditch with a newfound friend. It's... Better, if possible, when you can't see in front of you, when there's just a storm in your life or in the world, it's better if you can follow something that does not change, something that's immovable and unshakable. It's helpful from time to time if you can catch glimpses of the lines on the road. Because blizzard or no blizzard, those lines help you to see, here's the road, but it gets tough. It's helpful if you can see mailboxes along the side of the road. Because those aren't going to, I mean, unless the snow plows them over, those aren't going to move. You can see them and you can say, okay, the road's got to be somewhere in here. It's really helpful, especially at night, if you're in some place with street lights. Not only do they give you sort of a, an edge of the road, like here's, here's where the road is, but also they light it up for you so you can see This is the last Sunday of 2021. I don't know if you're into making New Year's resolutions. Maybe this is a week you're thinking about that. Maybe it's just on your mind, formally or informally. What's next year going to be like? What am I going to change? What's going to be different? Too often in our lives, we take our goals, we take things that we're shooting for, and they change based on what's going on in our life and in our world. And sometimes that's good. Sometimes we have to just adjust to the car in front of us, adjust to situations in our life. But I want to challenge us this morning as a church and as individuals, as followers of Jesus Christ, we need something bigger than just adjusting to a situation right in front of us. We need something bigger to keep us on track. And so today, it's a good time of the year to take some time and say, what is our mission as a church? Now, I know some of you don't go to Orchard regularly, and I don't want you to tune out because I truly believe that our purpose statement as a church is the purpose statement for every follower of Jesus Christ. And I don't say that like, ah, look at us as a church. I mean that to say we kept it, kept it super simple. It's really not so much about us. But we need to think about as storms come, and they will, as a church and as individuals, how are we going to stay on track? Who are we as a church collectively? And who are we as followers of Christ individually? That's what we want to look at this morning. Our purpose statement as a church, which hopefully everyone here who is a member has this completely memorized and can just rattle it off like this. We exist to make and become fully devoted followers of Christ through the renewing and transforming power of the gospel for the glory of God. Did I get it right? I I looked a few times, but I tried not to. Tried not to. 
We exist to make and become. We exist as a church and as individual believers. We exist. The purpose for which we are here on this earth is to make and become fully devoted followers of Christ through the renewing and transforming power of the gospel for the glory of God. There's really three main parts to this. And I'm going to kind of take the the whole thing in reverse order. It ends with the glory of God. That's the foundation and the goal of everything that we do. The glory of God. So we're going to start there. We exist for God's glory. In the middle is through the power of the gospel. We do what we do through the life-transforming, eternity-transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news, that he was born in a manger. That he lived a perfect, sinless life. And then he went to the cross to die for our sins and rose from the grave, promising eternal life to all who believe. That's the transforming power of the gospel. It makes dead people alive in Jesus Christ. Changes everything. So we exist for God's glory through the gospel and to make and become fully devoted followers of Christ. So we're going to walk through this this morning. And we need to start with the glory of God. We exist as a church, you exist as a person, and let me just tell you, whether you're a Christian or not, in this sense, doesn't matter, you were created for a purpose, you exist to glorify God, whether you accept it or not, that's why you are here. As a Christian, we come and we are saved by Jesus Christ, and we recognize this world is not primarily about us, it is about God and his glory. And we get to live on purpose for the glory of God. But the Bible says everything, even the rocks and the trees will cry out the glory of God. We get the incredible privilege of doing it on purpose. Now, so often when I talk about God's glory, people will say, wait a minute, Pastor Dave, I'm I'm here and I'm really struggling in my marriage or in my home or in my work. I need need something for me to make me feel better. Can Can we come and get encouraged? Absolutely. But if we don't start here, all the encouragement in the world will fall flat. Because if we make everything about us, we've put the emphasis in the wrong place to start with. Everything is about God and his glory. Let me just show you one passage. There's so many different ones we could go to throughout the Bible, specifically throughout the Old Testament. God says, I do what I do for my glory. And we say, oh, God, that is so selfish of you. (laughs) I mean, if I was to do everything I did for my own glory, that would be incredibly selfish because I would be saying I am more important than everything else. And that's ridiculous. I am not. My wife will tell you that. My kids will tell you that. No, you're not all that. (laughs) But now think about God. See, if I come to God and I say, God, I'm more important than you, I've just put myself in the place of God, and that's an idol. I've made an idol out of myself. I'm worshiping something less than God. But what happens when God puts something else in the greatest place? If he says he is not the highest thing in the world, the most glorious being, he's not the most important thing ever, God has put something less than God in the place of God, and God can't do that. God keeps the greatest thing in the number one place in everything he does. And the greatest thing in the world is the glory of God. Look at this passage from Isaiah 48, 9 through 11. Throughout the Old Testament, God gives perspective 
especially through the prophets, on history, the history of his people, why he did what he did. And here he talks about when, when Israel, his people, were just sinning and walking away from him, and he's, he's warning them that judgment is coming, and he's going to refine them, but he's going to bring them back eventually. And, and there's this whole story about them and what he's going to do for them. But throughout it, he makes statements like this. For my own name's sake, I delay my wrath. That's amazing. For the sake of my praise, God's saying to his people, Israel, you deserve to be punished. You need to be disciplined. This is not just an angry God going, zap. This is him saying, no, you're going in the wrong direction. I need to bring you back, but it's going to take you through some tough times to get you there. That's what discipline is, to refocus. And we look at that and say, oh, God, how much you love your people that you'd be willing to do that. And God says, yes, but that's not my primary motivation. You might think, boy, that's not very encouraging that God's primary motivation is not love for me. No, actually it's not. God's primary motivation is his own glory. For my own sake, namesake, I delay my wrath. For the sake of my praise, I hold it back from you so as not to destroy you completely. See, I have refined you, though not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction for my own sake, For my own sake, I do this. And friends, when you see somebody something repeated immediately in Scripture two or three times, stop, hit the pause button on your life, and say this is important. That's why it's there. God's saying, don't miss this. He's telling his people, I'm doing this for my own glory. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. The Exodus story is one of the most powerful stories throughout the Old Testament. God's people enslaved in Egypt, they can't get out on their own, they're completely stuck. And God saves them, miraculously, powerfully saves them. Even most kids in our world today have some semblance of a crossing of the Red Sea or something like that. They know at least the name of the story because it's such a powerful story. God says in scripture why he did that and he says it was for his own glory. Now, was it good for the people? Absolutely. Did God love the people that he did that for? Absolutely. But he says the fundamental reason he did it was for his own glory. Even when we get to the New Testament, we are told the reason Jesus Christ came to be born and to die on the cross and to rise from the grave, yes, was for our salvation, but in and through all of it, it was ultimately for the glory of God. And you might think, okay, this is an interesting little academic theological tidbit, but really what does it matter in my own life? Here's what it matters. God does not do what he does constantly just looking at your life in the world and going, hmm, let's see what happens. Oh, now I got to do this. Well, this is happening now. Now I got to do this. Oh, they prayed this prayer, so I need to do that. Oh, they shared that thing on Facebook. I have to bless them. That's not the God we serve. He's not waiting for things to happen in your life or for you to do things so that he can fundamentally alter all of his plans to suit what you need. God is in heaven looking down, doing everything for his glory. No matter what storm is going on in our life, his plans never change. And when God works for his own glory, 
we get the greatest benefit. So that's another thing that God understands that we don't. We want God to work for our benefit. Have you ever met someone that just everything they do is for their own benefit? Doesn't go so well. We don't really want God to just work for our benefit. When he works for his glory, we get the best benefit as well. The other reason this is important is that when we see in Scripture that God's fundamental focus is on his own glory, we need to look at ourselves and say that should be our focus too. If that is the most important thing to God and we are followers of God through Jesus Christ and we love the Lord, shouldn't we say, I want what he wants? I want that to be my focus. God's greatest focus is his greatest glory. That defines who we are and what we do and how we do it. As a church, we are called to align ourselves with the will and the glory of God. We are called as a church not to bring glory to Orchard Community Church. It's not why we're here. We're not called to have people come in and just go, it's the most amazing church ever. No, I want people to come in and say, those people serve the most amazing God ever. They've got something I don't have and I want that. And I hope when they go to the church down the street or in the city or somewhere else, they get the same thing because it's not about us, it's about God. And when we live our lives... And we look at situations and relationships and we say, I'm just not getting what I need out of this relationship to stop ourselves and say, wait a minute, it's not actually about me. I'm called to live for the glory of God in this relationship. Your whole perspective changes. Seeking God's glory helps us in so many ways. One way it helps us is it keeps the focus off of us. It keeps us humble. I love this passage that Paul writes. This is kind of something as a pastor I have to remind myself all the time. Anybody in ministry needs to remind themselves of this, but really just in life in general. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. That passage right there allows me to get up here every Sunday. Because every week, every moment as a pastor, I think, God, who am I? You know, there's times I'm called to somebody's house. Somebody's dying. And they call me up, and, and I get the call, and I'm driving over, and I'm just praying. I'm going, God, I have no clue. Who am I to help this person hold the hand of a loved one while they're passing away? And then it hits me. Number one, you're nobody. And number two, God is everybody and everything. And my job is not to point them to me or for me to be the comfort. My job is to point them to him. It keeps us humble. The goal is his glory, not us. Church. Our goal as a church is not building the best, most efficient, most flashy ministries. 
Those things are good. We don't want to just settle for mediocrity for, for the sake of mediocrity. Oh, we're pointing to the glory of God, so it doesn't really matter what we do. No. But it's so easy to flip a switch and say, this is more about us doing things awesomely than God getting the glory. And it's so subtle as a church, but it's easy to do. It happens in our own life as well. We focus on how do I be the best I can be, and it's good to grow. We'll talk about that in a moment. It's good to improve. It's good to live a righteous life. But we need to remind ourselves the goal is not for people to think highly of us. It's for them to think highly of God. God's glory keeps his people united as a church. Paul writes in the first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 10, verse 31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And we take that as like, here's my my mission, I do everything for the glory of God. And that's true, but the context of this is so helpful. Do you know what was going on in that church? They were arguing, backbiting, backstabbing, and judging one another. Because some of them were acting in a way that they thought was more holy than others. And each side thought they were more holy and they were slinging stones at each other. And Paul steps into the middle of that with the gospel and he says, wait a minute, your focus is all in the wrong place. Focus on the glory of God. A focus on the glory of God keeps a church unified. Because we talk to somebody and we say, "Mm, you've got different political views than me. You've got different ideas on masks and mandates than I do. You've got a different way of disciplining your kids or celebrating Christmas or or doing all sorts of things. You've got different ideas on life, but then we get to the bottom of everything. We say, but you're living for the glory of God through the power of Jesus Christ. That right there unifies us more than anything else could possibly divide us. We've got to keep our focus there. We exist for the glory of God. It keeps the focus off of us. It keeps the focus from being too much on our day-to-day situations or the situations of the world. And it keeps us on something unmovable and unshakable and defines our path and our purpose. We exist as Orchard Community Church to make and become fully devoted followers of Christ through the renewing and transforming power of the gospel for the glory of God. Our ultimate and highest goal in everything we do as a church is the glory of God. So we exist for the glory of God, but how? Again, not just us being awesome, but through the power of the gospel. The life-changing, transformative power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you want to know the best way to bring glory to God? Look for the way that God chose to best display his glory. Do you know what it is? It's the cross of Jesus Christ. There we have the powerful glory of God on display. That is also the greatest good for us. We are changed through the gospel. The gospel and God's glory cannot be separated. You cannot have one without the other. To say that you are going to try to be a good person and live a holy life and that you have a good relationship with God, but refuse to accept that Jesus Christ is God's son who died in your place, that you might live, means that you don't have a good relationship with God. You are not on good terms with him. You are denying the thing that God has declared is most important to him. Wow, pastor, that's really encouraging to people that are trying to live a religious life. 
some of the strongest warnings in Christian or in scripture are for people who think they are religious but aren't actually trusting God at all. And so if I need to shake you a little bit as we enter this new year, I will. Paul writes in Romans 1:16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God, not good wisdom, not tip for today, not something to help you through your day, the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. If you've never read the book of Romans, I challenge you, put that on your list of things to do this upcoming year. It it won't take you that long. Read it through all the way. Because after he says this statement in Romans 1.16, he spends 11 chapters diving deep into what the gospel is, why it is powerful, and what it means for us. And then he gets to the end of that section and he just bursts out in praise. Romans chapter 11, verses 33 to 36. After talking about salvation and the gospel for 11 chapters, he says this, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. It is so easy to slip into a pattern as a church or as individuals to say, I just need to make myself a little bit better. And as a church, you start, func- you start changing your ministries and they start functioning as let's just help people to be a little bit better, a little better version of themselves. We'll give them tips on how to live a Christian life at work or in their homes or their families. And those things are good. But without the gospel, they are empty and meaningless. Because being a slightly better version of you on a path to eternal destruction is not helpful at all. And ultimately, it's not loving. The good news of the gospel is that God takes dead people through nothing that they can do on their own, and he brings them to new life through Jesus' death and resurrection. It's not that he takes bad people and makes them good, or takes good people and makes them better. He takes dead people and makes them alive. Which means you have to start with, in my sin, I am dead. And dead people don't fix themselves up at all. They need somebody else to step in. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. And then 4 and 5, he says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. That's the power of the gospel. No amount of tips and tricks as a church or civic organization or or wonderful books or internet articles is going to accomplish this. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, there was a time when I learned that my GPS on my phone can actually be kind of dangerous in a snowstorm. You see, it's not really aware of everything that's going on, turns out. 
And it was snowing really bad, and so traffic was slowed way down. Now, my GPS is kind of smart, and it, it knows when traffic's going slow, because they're always watching. And, and, and so it reroutes you, right? Oh, we'll help you around this slow traffic. We'll take you on back streets. <laughs> so there I am in a blizzard, and my GPS says, turn here. I always do what my GPS says, so I turn there. And I get myself on back streets in the middle of a blizzard that haven't been plowed at all. You see, so often we get in that situation where we're just responding to and reacting to day-to-day situations in our world or in our life. And we're saying, what should I do to make this just a little bit better? And too often we make it a whole lot worse. We need something bigger than just slightly better ideas or actions. We need the life-changing power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We exist to make and become fully devoted followers of Christ through the renewing and transforming power of the gospel for the glory of God. It's why I work hard as a pastor, and I hope you notice it, I work hard in every sermon I ever preach to make sure that the gospel of Jesus Christ is there. That someone, anyone, if you are there, if you're here and you're listening to it, that you have heard enough in that sermon to accept Jesus as your Savior. That's one of my fundamental goals as a pastor, and I will never change that. It's why in our Sunday school, in our small groups, in our Bible studies, we focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, you never grow up or graduate past the gospel. You always go deeper in the gospel. It's just more gospel. We all need to continue to grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Which brings us to our third point, the beginning of our mission statement. To make and become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. To make and become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. There's a difference between what I would think of as a believer and a follower. And and I think in Christian circles, we've shortchanged ourselves a little bit by putting so much emphasis on making a believer. Because it's like, have you prayed the prayer and given your life to Jesus? Yes, great. And then we just move on to somebody else. Jesus came onto the scene and he didn't go one-to-one to the disciples and say, do you believe in me? Great. And he went on. What did he say to his disciples time after time? You, follow me. Follow me. Where are you going? Just follow. What are you going to do? Just follow. It's interesting that, that what they actually understood and believed in at the very beginning was so tiny. But they followed. You see, faith comes first through believing. Absolutely. We must believe and accept who Jesus Christ is. But faith is demonstrated and made strong through following. And if you look at your life and you say, I have faith, but you see no following, you should be asking the question, do I really have faith? That's not me talking that scripture. Talks about looking at fruit, looking at our lives. A growing disciple who is following Christ will have evidence in their life. 
Look at what Paul says in Galatians 2.20. Look at how he looks at his own life as a follower of Christ. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you understand what Paul's saying there? He's saying, I don't live for myself anymore. The old Paul, the old Saul is dead, buried, and gone. I think if Paul was here today, he would say, that guy was a loser. He says, everything I do now is because I've been changed by Jesus Christ. A follower of Jesus Christ does not live for self. We live for Christ. This becomes difficult when we gather as a church. Because we all come with wants and needs to this place, to our gatherings. We need encouragement. We need support. And and the church is here for that. But we also need to challenge ourselves. It's not about me. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. It keeps our perspective and our focus in the right place. Colossians 2, 6, and 7 is really my theme verse for for ministry. Because I believe that as disciples, followers of Jesus, it's what a disciple is, one who follows and learns and grows. I believe that we are to constantly and continually learn and grow. That's why I love that phrase, fully devoted followers. Nobody gets to stand up. If I was to put out a poll today, how many of you are completely 100% fully devoted followers of Christ? You have arrived and have no more growth to do. I sure hope not a hand would go up. My hand wouldn't. Oh no, praise God, Jesus isn't done with me yet. Oh, we'll get there in heaven. It's going to be amazing. We're not there yet. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord. Are you a teenager? Young kid, maybe you just received Christ a couple years ago. Okay, keep going. Are you midlife, growing kids? Maybe you received Jesus 20, 30 years ago. Keep going. Are you older? 70s, 80s? We've got some people in their 90s in our church. This verse says, okay, Keep going. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Become a fully devoted follower of Christ. Don't stop. Don't get sidetracked. Keep going. It's why we do Bible studies. It's why we have Wednesday night. It's it's why Sunday school is so important to us. It's why we have groups of people that meet together in homes just on their own. It doesn't have to be a church program. Get a Bible. Get a friend. There you go. Boom. Ministry. We overcomplicate things too much. Follow Christ together. Go deeper together. And help someone else. Because yes, we are to become fully devoted followers, but we are also to make Fully devoted followers. What if each one of us, when we came to church or we gathered with friends that are Christians, if we said, my goal is to help someone else follow Christ better? Wouldn't that change things a lot? Jesus said this as he was ascending into heaven. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. 
make disciples. You do not have to have a seminary degree or a Bible and theology degree to point someone to Jesus Christ. Do you know who the disciples were? They were nobodies. If you study their culture and what discipleship was, a rabbi would come along and he would watch for guys that had finished kind of their basic schooling and then he would call them to follow and it was a big deal to be chosen by a prominent rabbi. Jesus is the son of God. Where does he meet his disciples? Was it in a synagogue? No. They had a whole system for Jewish boys to be trained in the Jewish law and in scripture. And if they were graduated from that and accepted and called by a Jewish rabbi, they would go right into that. And that was like their upper high school or college degree. If they were not chosen by a rabbi, do you know what they did? They went and did whatever their dads did. Fishermen, farming. Where does Jesus find his disciples? Fishing. And just doing their day-to-day stuff. Do you know why? They weren't good enough to be called by some other rabbi. That's powerful. Because I'm not good enough to be called by some other rabbi. And you're not good enough to be called by some other rabbi. God doesn't care because he's good enough to call you and work through you to make disciples of Jesus Christ. That is so challenging and so encouraging. We exist for God's glory through the gospel to make and become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. What's going to keep you on track this new year? Because look hard at this picture. You're going to see some of this this year, and I'm not talking about weather. And I'm not a prophet. I don't know what it's going to be. And I hope you don't. I hope you have a rosy, sunny, beautiful, happy new year where nothing ever goes wrong. I doubt it. It's a messed up world and we're messed up people. What's going to keep you on track when the storms come? What's going to keep us on track as a church and as individual followers of Jesus Christ is to know why we exist. To make and become fully devoted followers of Christ through the renewing and transforming power of the gospel for the glory of God. Friends, don't wait for the storm to come to get your focus. Make Christ your focus every day. So when the snow starts to fall, you say, I'm just going to keep following Christ. It's what I did yesterday and the day before, and I'm just going to keep going. I hope and I pray in this new year as a church, we are challenged and encouraged and can say, this is what we're going to do. It's what we've been doing. It's what we're going to continue to do. Make and become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, while this statement is in so many ways so simple, It's also so powerful and so deep and so beyond us to accomplish. And yet the promise of your word is that this is what you are doing. You are at work for your own glory. And you work through us for your glory.
And you save us for your glory. And you give us the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ to reach out with others or to others to point them to Jesus and to tell them about him. You chose to use us in your most powerful and glorious plan. It's truly humbling. And God, I know there are people here that are struggling. I know there are those that the holidays are so difficult. And I also know that some of us are going to face things in the new year that we cannot even possibly imagine, nor would we ever choose to go through. And we need something unshakable and unchangeable to hold on to. Set our sights on you, Father. Help us to accept the life-transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be brought from death to life. Help us then to continue to go deeper in our relationship with you and to bring others along with us, to be an encouragement and a discipler of other people so that you get all the glory because that's what's greatest for you and best for us as well. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.